I will read on our behalf. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone would say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is not justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart works is dead. Let us pray for these things and we'll begin. Father, we are before your word and your word is a mirror that reveals our fallenness. And this, this morning, the verses that we read are very challenging because it will challenge the basis of our faith, basis of we think what faith is. Father, I think so many of us think the faith is just receiving things from you, and it stops there. The Lord is clear. True faith is a faith that not only receives, but true faith is a faith that expends. We pray, dear God, that may your word this morning give us a clear understanding of what salvation looks like. Reveal to us whether we're really saved. And motivate us, Lord, to do good works. I am, without your spirit, I am just a loud gong, a useless noise. But with your power, these words can bring life and sanctification. We pray for such miracles this morning. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Christians believe that God is not just a faraway distant father. But Christians believe that God is very active in the lives of his people. Um, Deist, who 
who believe that there is a God, believe that God set the elements of the universe in place. He wound up the universe just so, and he let it go, and he just let, the, let existence play out, and he's kind of standoffish. That's what deists believe. Deists believe there is a God. He created the world in an orderly way. After he created the world in an orderly way, he just, he just let loose, and he just doesn't get involved anymore. That is not the Christian God. The Christian God is actively involved in the life of his people. And the way I know that God is involved in my life is that he constantly rebukes me, constantly corrects me. That's a really good thing. So for those of you who weren't here last week, we were talking about mercy, how Christians are called to be merciful. And if we are not merciful to the people in this life, then we will be judged for the lack of mercy after we die. Before the Lord, if we are not merciful in this world, right, then God will judge us for not being merciful in this world. Because by, 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 by the very definition, Christians are those who receive mercy from God. And if you don't show mercy to the people around, to the, to the people in, in this life, then you don't really know Christ at all. More or less, that's what I preached about last week. And you know what happened last week? As soon as after that, I preached that lovely message. I found myself having a really hard time being merciful. Ironic, isn't it? There's a person in my life whom shall remain nameless, right? Not you, by the way, if you think it's you. It's not about you. But it's someone in my life. Like a trial. I found it very difficult to be merciful. I had a certain idea about that person. I had a prejudicial idea. It wasn't a shallow idea. I think I had a legitimate analysis of what that person is like. And my analysis of that person wouldn't leave my mind. You know what I'm talking about? No? I had judgment. And it was very difficult going past my judgment. Then on Thursday morning, maybe it's because I had this passage in my mind, in my porch, that's where I pray most of the time now, now, right? I pray in my porch. I hear God saying to me, didn't you preach about mercy last week, TJ? It's not audio, by the way. I'm not crazy, right? It's just, he says, it seems like he's saying, didn't you preach about mercy last week? What good is it if you preached about mercy last week? But if you can't show mercy to the people in your life, what good is what you preached? Does it make sense? What benefit is there about you preaching mercy to your people? If you can't show mercy to the people in your life. Preaching about mercy, it doesn't matter to me unless I become merciful to the people in my life. That's what James is teaching in these verses. What good is it if you proclaim that you believe in God? If that belief doesn't lead you to a better life? What good is your faith 
if it doesn't change the way you live? What good is your faith if, our, if, if by having faith we don't do good works? What's the point of having faith, James is arguing? If you have faith but you don't do any good works, what's the point of your faith? What good is your faith if your faith is only in your head and it doesn't play out in your reality? What good is it? What good is declaring that you believe in something if that belief that has no effect in the way you live your life? Such faith, James says, is dead, and he's being really mean, useless faith. Yes. James is writing this letter to the Jewish Christians scattered in the Roman Empire. His audience for this letter were Jews who are scattered along the Roman Empire. And if you think about Jews, Jewish people are very religious. They're Unity as a people is a religious unity. And they are keenly aware that being God's people involve a lot of duty, involve a lot of religious activity. If you read Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, you know, those four books that, that you know, that, it's a source of so much failures of reading through the Bible, right? I want to read the Bible a year, and then in a year, and then you get to Leviticus, and man, you fail. Because it's about laws, how to live, how to worship God, how to treat your neighbors, how to treat other people. And it gets very tedious. Jewish people, by their religious background, view religion as a very duty-bound thing. Do you understand? But then, some of, then these Jewish Christians hear about, the mess, hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is, there is nothing that you can do, no religious act you can do to make you acceptable before God. There's nothing that you can do, Jewish people, that can make you acceptable to God. The only thing that you can do, the gospel says, is to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Don't trust in your works. Trust in the work of Christ. So these Jewish people who are raised religious with all these religious obligations hear the free message of the, of the gospel. And what happened to them? They go, what? Hot dog. It's free. I don't have to abide by these rituals anymore. I am free. I don't have to do things anymore for God. Oh, what free grace is this? Wonderful. And so what's the, what's the temptation? For people who were who are raised by doing, like, by, like living a very restrictive life, now suddenly they're free. And in their minds, they think, I don't have to do anything for God anymore. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. From that moment on, I don't have to do jack for Jesus. That's the mentality that James is questioning. It is certainly true, and we'll talk more about it a little bit later, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's God's free mercy towards sinners. Free for us, it costs everything for God to save us, but free for us because we can't do anything but to receive. Right? Like my children. My children, man, 
Like, my, it's an art fest in my house, right? My daughter, just in the summertime, she writes stories and practices the violin and draws pictures. My wife is playing the piano everywhere. I run an like, artistic academy. And they have all this free time. Why do they have free time, y'all? Why? Because good old PJ here works, right? So that I will, so I sacrifice so that they will be free. Our salvation is free for us because it costs us nothing to receive. But it costs God everything. And it's true. The gospel of Christ is free. It's that free, merciful, generous grace that God has given us. But it doesn't mean once you're a Christian, you're free from all obligation. In fact, it's the opposite. You were once prisoners of your flesh, now you're a prisoner of Christ. You go where he sends you, where you send, where he sends you. And you do what he says you ought to do. One of the most favorite ways that Paul, Apostle Paul describes himself is he's a, he's a bondservant. He's a slave of Christ. Which means he goes where Christ tells him to go and does what Christ tells him to do. It is certainly free grace. But this free grace that we receive calls us to live a radically different life. And that's James's main story. Look, everything in our lives, every religion in the world, besides Christianity, every religion in the world is, 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 is calling people to do certain things to go to the next level, right? Hindus, Buddhism, Scientology, all say, you got to do certain things to go to the next level. Right? Hindus believe, right, you gotta live a certain way so that you won't be born a human being anymore. You can be free from this body and join nirvana or something. Is that Hinduism or Buddhism? I forget. Same thing, Buddhism. Do certain things, practice spiritual discipline. And if you do practice spiritual discipline in the world, then you'll be free. Like you'll be free from this body. Scientology. Pay Scientology money, take courses, abide by those courses, you'll reach the next level of Satanism. Right? Christianity is the only religion that says there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do to go to the next level besides trust in the work of Christ. Yes, it's true. But many people who are raised in the church are like the Jewish Christian in James's day. Grace of God is free. Therefore, I don't have to do anything anymore. James is saying that kind of thinking, that kind of faith, is dead faith, useless faith. Knowledge that is no different from the way deep, from, from the thinking that is no different from the thinking of demons. That's really harsh. James is saying if you think being a Christian means just live however you want, you don't have to do any good works then your mentality, your understanding about God is no different from demons. Because James is saying, 
True faith always will result in good works. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Once again, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Verse 14, James is talking about the genuineness of your saving faith. How genuine is your saving faith? One of the main purposes of the reason why God wrote James, that James wrote James, is he wants to, he wants to teach his readers what genuine faith, faith looks like. How do you know whether your faith is real? How do you know it's not a knockoff? In the interest of sermon illustrations, in preparing for this message, because I'm such a good pastor, I, I search YouTube. How do you spot fake designer bags? Right? There's many fake designer things out there. Right? How do you spot it? From the naked eye, it's difficult. Only a trained expert will know the difference between what is fake and what is real. James is saying, I'm going to show you a way of how to identify whether your faith, whether your faith, faith, saving faith is genuine. Right, so like in that YouTube clip that I watched, the, 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 they compared a knockoff Chanel sneakers and a real Chanel sneaker. One cost maybe like 70 bucks, the other one cost like 500 bucks. How do you tell? It looks the same, it has Chanel all over it, but the guy said, if you look at the real Chanel, you see the metal C, the logo at the, at the back. Look at the stitching. It's very like, complex and heavy. Okay, whatever. There are signs, he says, of whether you know. You can tell whether a Chanel sneaker is legit or not. Similarly, James is saying, there are signs that you can know whether your faith is genuine or not. That whether you're saving faith, which means evidence that you are saved, is genuine or not. And he's saying the clearest evidence, whether you're saved, your faith is genuine or not, is, is your faith accompanied by good works? A faith that is not accompanied by good works, it's not saving faith, it's dead, useless faith. But a faith that is proven by, its, by good works, that's the genuine article. And the question is, what do you mean by good works? What does James mean by deeds? He means, I think, or I studied, the deeds here describe any action that makes people's lives better. He gives you an example, right? If there is a brother or sister who don't have clothes and who, don't have, who can't eat, good deeds is providing your brother and sister who don't have clothes or food, giving them food and clothing. It is making their lives better. That's what he means by good works. Making people's lives around you in the church, in the world, better. That's what James means by good deeds. Is your faith leading to the betterment of other people in your life, in the church? That's the evidence of whether your faith is genuine or not. 
let's go back. James is clearly not saying you are saved by your works. James is not saying you can earn your way to heaven. That is not what he's saying at all, right? He's not contradicting Paul. Paul, for, for example, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, We know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul is teaching in Galatians, the way we are justified before God is faith in Christ. The word justification means God declaring to us that we are righteous, that we are in a right relationship with him. Justification means God declaring to us, hey, yo, you are in the opposite side of where I, where I, where I, like, who I am. But now you belong to me. You are righteous. You, I find you acceptable. Justification is God declaring that he finds, our, he finds us acceptable, righteous. And the only way, Paul is saying, that we can become justified in the right place with God is by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. You cannot earn, you cannot work your way so that God will accept you. There's nothing, there's no work that we can perform that will make God find, find us acceptable to him. I'll give you an example. Law of love. We talked about the law of love last week. Law of love, God is calling us to love and respect the humanity and dignity of the people around us. And if we don't live a life that respects the dignity and the humanity of the people around us, then we're going to be judged by his love standard. We're going to be judged by how well we love. But the problem is, we are horrible at loving. Even though we think in our heads that we are, we are loving people, but in the shallow way that we pass judgments and the, the harsh words that we say, Look, even the thing that entertains us, we're entertained because out of the expense of people's humanity getting like, trampled on, right? What do, what, what do we find entertaining? Shows that murder people, get people killed, right? We laugh at people insulting other people. We find all those things entertaining. Our definition of entertainment is human beings getting killed or being, or being dehumanized. And we think we're loving. We're not, right? Let's be honest. Let's be real. Being loving mean more, it means more than get, buying your wife flowers on Mother's Day or taking your wife out to a nice expensive meal. Loving means truly watching your life so that you will love and respect the humanity of other people. But we're horrible at it. We find dehumanizing other people entertaining. There's no, God, there's no entertainment like gossip, right? So fun. Getting together with your loved ones, take a subject, a human, another human being, and constantly just talk smack about that person. Oh, it's so entertaining, isn't it? We will be judged. Did you know 
that dehumanizing other people cause trauma and pain to another human being. It does. It scars them. I had a good friend who's an accomplished lawyer, really accomplished, really beautiful, but her, she has this crushing identity, self-identity issues. And the reason is, is that when she was in the eighth grade, one of her friends called her an elephant. That just stayed with her all these years. Do you think there's anything that her friend who called her an elephant can do to my friend now that will take that trauma away? The harsh things, the things, the ugly things that we do to one another and the scars that cause, like these scars that are caused by these ugliness. Is there anything that we can do to remove their scars? They say, I cheat on my wife. And I go, oops, my bad. I cheat on you. I'm so sorry. And me cheating on her will just disorient her life and everything. It just it's go crazy. Do I think, do you think I can make it better for her? Just by doing the dishes every night? I'll say, hey, honey, I'm so sorry that I cheated on you. Let me, do the, let me clean the house from now on. Will that make her better? Well, honey, oops, I'm sorry I betrayed you. Let me buy you flowers on Mother's Day from now on. hundred flowers every Mother's Day. Will that solve her pain? There, the pain that we cause, there's nothing that we can do to undo it. There isn't. That's what atheists don't understand. That's what, that's what all the other religions don't understand. There's nothing that we can do to reach the next level because the pain that we inflict, we cannot make it go away. Can the sin that I cause, can the scar that I cause another human being, can it go away by me practicing yoga or meditating? That's what Hindus believe, right? You should meditate. And you reach the next level. If I meditate, will the pain that I cause, will that go away? It won't. There's nothing, no work that I can do to make me righteous. There's nothing that I can do. Because the sin that I, sin, the damage that I caused is reprehensible. And the right thing for God to do is to punish me. And I think that's the right thing. But the work of Christ is that rather than punishing me, he get punished on my behalf. He died the death that I should have died, right? Man, I'm still repenting for the nonsense that I sinned that I caused my wife when we were dating 23 years ago. 23 years ago, I yelled at her. And I'm still repeat, repenting over that. Why? Because she brings it up occasionally. 23 years ago. Shouldn't she be over it by now? No, she's not over it by now. I should die for the things that I've done. Rather than me dying, Christ died on my behalf. Not only that, died the death that I should have died, he, and, and he also lived the life that I should have lived. Jesus Christ is the only perfect person who has loved another human being perfectly. 
And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, his record becomes my record. So because of his work, he died the death that I should have died. Because of his work, he lived the life that I should have lived. And if I trust in that, you know what happens? You become a new creation. If you trust in that, you're made new. What does it mean to be made new? What it means to be made new is you start to conform to the image of God. Being saved means once you were not conformed to the image of God, now you are starting to conform to the image of God. Do you follow, young people? Salvation is not just you ticket to go to heaven. Salvation is you are, you are changing, you are conforming to the very nature of God. That's what salvation means. Who is God? God? One of the natures of God is God is a God who works to do good in the world. He's not a God who's in his basement playing, net, playing video games and watching Netflix all the time. He's not a God who's just kind of like lying around and just wasting his time. He rolls up his sleeves and he's actively working in creation, in the life of his people, saving people. He's active. He is alive. Living, active God. If he thinks of something, he does it. And if we're conformed to the image of God, then we too will work to do good. I think that's what James is talking about. The evidence of, the, the evidence of whether you're saved is whether you're conforming to the image of God and, the God, and the God, and the God works. So good works is the evidence of whether you're truly being conformed to him. That is why good works is the evidence of saving faith. That's kind of complicated. College kids, understand? Are you conformed to the image of God by your works? Does your work show you? Though your good works, are they evidence of your saving faith in Christ? That's James' point. Look. The Bible detests laziness. If you read Proverbs, which, by the way, that we're doing during prayer meeting, right? Shout out to prayer meeting. Proverbs is clear. The laziness is great evil. Jesus, in the parable of the ten talents, remember, there's a parable where the master gave a few talents to one guy, a few talents to the other guy, and a few talents to one guy. And in that parable, Jesus calls the lazy servant wicked. In Jesus' mind, laziness is wickedness. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Thessalonian Christians, do not associate yourself with lazy people, idle people. That's, pretty, that's a serious thing. Don't have anything to do with people who are lazy. The Bible is harsh 
against laziness. Because laziness is the opposite of who God is. In fact, I was thinking about this last night when I was praying. I think one of the ways that the devil attacks us is by making us lazy. I don't want to give all conspiracy theories out there and stuff, but Netflix and YouTube are his perfect tools to make us lazy. If you are lazy, James saying, if your faith is lazy faith, then it's not saving faith. Good works. He gives an example of Abraham. Right? Abraham. Where, where does Abraham come into? Verse 23. Abraham believed in God, and it was credited towards righteousness, right? That's what Abraham, that's what the Bible says. Abraham believed in God, therefore his belief made him righteous. What kind of belief did Abraham have? Was Abraham's faith a lazy belief? God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, leave your father's house and go to the land that I show you. Abraham said, okay, and he left. He heard God's call and he moved. Abraham's faith was an active faith. Did Abraham say, God said, Abraham, go to the place, that you're, go to the place I sent you. Did Abraham say, yeah, I believe in you, God. Praise you. And do nothing? No. Abraham left. God called Abraham. Hey, Abraham, you know your son, your only son that you love? Offer him up a sacrifice. Abraham took his son up, up, up to Mount Moriah and he about to sacrifice his son. Abraham's faith was an active faith. If Abraham said, if God says, you know, Abraham sacrificed your son, if he says, oh, okay, I understand, God, that you're theoretically, not literally, but metaphorically telling me to sacrifice my son. Hmm, maybe you're telling me not to love my son more than you. Okay, God, I understand you. And if he's understanding to stop there and did not go, try to go through with it, that's not real faith. By the way, the sacrifice of Isaac is a more complicated story, but we'll talk about it later, right? But, but, that's, but the point is, Abraham's faith that was credited towards him righteousness was an active faith. Is your faith active? Is it in your head? Or does it filter through your actions? Look, sometimes I'm really bitter, bitter about my, my work schedule. I really am bitter. And sometimes I say to my wife, my wife, I either want to be a farmer or I want to die because I don't think I can work this much anymore. But this week, God was very gracious to me. This week was a really hard, long week, like all weeks are. But in the week, and, you know, Pastor Woody was on vacation, so I led prayer meeting and I led small group on Friday. It was a crazy busy week. I didn't know how I survived it. And I had like emergencies at work, clients being stuck somewhere. It was like crazy. 
But this week, one of the paralegals uh, used to work for me. She wrote me, she sent me a gift with a card that says, thank you for your mentorship. I look, I look very fondly at my experience at the firm. She worked crazier hours than I did, by the way. She said, I look fondly at, our, at the, my experience with the firm because you were there helping me. And I go, oh. I helped out a client. In the email, the client says, my prayers were answered. Thank God. You don't see that from corporate clients a lot. I go, oh. And another client was stuck outside. I helped them yesterday. He thanked me. I worked until 4 p.m. yesterday helping that guy. What I understood about my life is this. Even though I'm bitter sometimes about working a lot, but God let me see that this work that I do here at, work, at my firm job, whatever it is, it is making a difference in people's lives. I'm not saying to brag about myself because I'm just bitter all the time, but it's God using me to do good works. It's God using you to do good works. Are you making a difference in someone's life? Especially the people around who are nearest to you. Are you making a difference in their lives? That's the evidence of genuine faith. Paul, James says once again, faith that is not accompanied by good works is evidence that your faith is not genuine. Verse 18, Paul, James thinks of an objection. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So James is envisioning an objection. James is saying, maybe some of you who are reading this, when I say your faith has to be accompanied by works, maybe you'll say to me, whoa, 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 James, let's not be so militant here. James, the church is big. There are people with diverse gifting in churches, James. Maybe one person's gifting is faith. Right? Maybe this person is crazy gifted in faith. And maybe the other person, not so much gifted in faith, but they're like crazy gifted in deeds. Can't we all get along, James? You know, one, can't one person have faith and the other person have works? James say, no. It's not two distinct things, James is saying. Faith and work is one thing. James is saying, look, if you say you believe in Christ, and if you see your brother and sister suffering because they don't have enough clothes or food, if you just say to them, hey, man, your life, I'm really, I feel really bad for you, bro. You know, I hope you find food somewhere. I'll pray for you, right? Let me know how it goes. Is that kind of thing real faith, James said? 
your brothers and sisters are your family member. People, church is more than a place of worship. It is a people of, people of God. It's a family. Your fellow brothers and sisters is your family member. And James is saying, if your family member is suffering, and if all you can say is, man, I feel bad for you, bro. I hope you find food and clothing somewhere. Peace out. How is that real faith, James is saying? Faith and works are not two distinct things. They're one. A person might say, you know, James, let's not get all crazy. I have faith, James, even though I may be lacking in works, you know, because I kind of, I don't know what to do and stuff. You know, James, but I believe in God. I believe there's one God, James. Isn't that enough, James? Verse 19, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder, man. Oh, God bless you. Isn't knowing about God enough? Isn't consuming information about God on Sunday enough? Isn't listening to PJ going on and on about God on Sunday, isn't that enough for me to have faith? To know there is a God? Isn't that enough? James saying no. Even demons know there is one God. If you look at the New Testament, in places where demons like, are visibly present, when Jesus walked by, they all freaked out. There's no demon that didn't freak out when Jesus was there. They recognized who Jesus was. The only person, the only being who doesn't recognize who Jesus is, is human beings, right? Even the demons know that there is one God. Knowledge doesn't mean true faith. I think a lot of us believe knowing about God makes us Christian. No. You can know something but that knowledge doesn't necessarily translate to trust. What makes you a Christian is not knowing about God, but whether you trust about who God is. Look, example is masks. Let's, ma knowing about something and trusting, the difference between knowing and trusting. Okay, let's talk about mask wearing. You know, look, I'm not an anti-masker, by the way, contrary to popular belief. But let's be real here. You know, the CDC. Dr. Fauci said, hey, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. My law firm in the all-hands meeting the other day says, hey, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask in the firm. We go, hallelujah. So we know we don't have to wear a mask, right? But we're still wearing masks. Why? Because we don't trust what we know. I'm not saying, maybe mask wearers, you guys have it right. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe I'll get the Delta variant and you'll show me how wrong I was. Boy, will my face be red when that happens, right? 
maybe you're right and maybe I'm wrong. But Fauci says, I don't have to wear it. Why are you wearing it? Because you don't trust Fauci. And there's good reason not to trust Fauci, right? What you know is different from what you trust. It's perfectly possible for you to say you know God, not trust him. What does knowing God but not trusting him look like? If you say you know God, right? But if your primary mode of being in this world is living for you, for your pleasure, for your benefit, for your glory, for whatever, it, if it's for you, for your, for your laziness, if your primary mode of being is for you, you may say that you know him, but the Bible will say you don't trust him. What does it mean to trust in God? Trust in God means you trust in his narrative. You, you say you trust in what he says about life is true, and you want to live in accordance to that narrative. It's perfectly possible to say that you know God, but not living into the, according to his narrative. It's perfectly possible. If you trust God, if you trust in his narrative, if you trust in the gospel, if you say the gospel is how it's true and it, it dictates how I live, if that is the type of trust you have, then that narrative will lead you to works of love. It will. Back to my story in the beginning. I didn't want to be merciful. I didn't. I thought I was in the right judging the, uh, judging the person. But what changed my mind? Me being a nice human being? It is a narrative of the gospel thundering in my mind. Is the narrative of the gospel thundering in your mind? Is it the mode of your being? If it is, you will show good works. It will just natu- it will come out if it is. If your mode of being is mere knowledge, you're not going to want to do good works. You're primarily in it for yourself. Christians, conclusion. I'll, I'll give you six minutes. I'll end six minutes early today because we have guests and we don't want to give the impression that we go long here, right? Because, like, how, how do people find churches? Short sermons. So I'm doing that. Are you busy? Doing works, good works? Or do you have more time than you, you know what to do with it? For a, for, a, for a guy who has no time, truly, honestly, I'm telling you, time is the most precious commodity because I have no time for myself. Why has God given you time? Do good works. When I realize that God is using me to do good works, oh, I want to do more good works. Did you know that? Do good works. Not because your good works will make you acceptable to God. That's foolishness. But do good works because good works will will give you pleasure. Pleasure because you're doing what God is doing in the world. Did I go here? I'll go here. We're honest with each other. Let's go.
Look, I worked 40 hours a week once. It was great. Great. Before coming to Embrace, there was a couple of, a couple of weeks where I, had to work, where I only worked 40 hours. Man, that was great. It was very restful working 40 hours a week. I'm not saying you should be workaholics. I'm, the reason I'm saying this to you is working 40 hours a week, it still gives you a lot of time to do good. If you're spending more time on your hobbies than doing good works, then may I ask you, what does that say about your faith? You're saving faith. There's a need that our church has, and we're going to make an announcement with it. We have, a need, we have a need in our church. But if you're letting the need of the church go unmet because you don't want to commit your time to it, because you would rather do other things with your time than serving the needs of the people of God, then what does that tell you about your saving faith? Is it a soft rebuke or a hard rebuke that I'm doing? Tough, right? Loving rebuke. Guys, this place is a place of labor to make a difference. You can make a difference. God is calling you to make a difference. But the way that you motivate yourself to make that difference is to trust in who Christ is and let he be the motivating factor of your work. Don't waste your life, man. Work. Make a difference. Ask him to change your heart so that you will be be a person who will be like him. Don't go to your mom's basement and just hang out. Work. Let's pray.